Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. All three people shouted you there, Rob. Do you want to do it again? I think they need to shout you louder. You're better than that. You... The button keeps moving on me. That's rude. I turned it up twice. I blame, I blame, I don't know who, probably me. <laughs> all right, that's right. Hello, everyone. There you there go. We, that's what you deserve, Rob. Thank Love you. That. Thank you. Um, so I'm Rob. Rob Riddler is, is a wonderful surname. Um, it was great in an all-boys school. Uh, had some wonderful fun with that. Um, so any Batman jokes, please feel free. It's fine. I've heard, if you can come up with an original one, then I'll be impressed. Um, and this is Ellis. Guilty. Guilty. Um, so, so this is my first time ever doing a kind of two-person talk, and this is Ellis's first time ever preaching on a Sunday morning. True. So, so please be kind to us, all right? Um, but I, I've known Ellis for three years or yeah. so, something yeah. like that. Um, and and because we kind of, uh, and this is a new experience for us both, we, we've come up with a really subtle code. Like Very if subtle. If something's going not quite right, yep. we've got a subtle code. Hopefully, you won't see it because everything's okay. All right. Um, should we do? Should we do a practice run? Should we do a practice to see if they notice it? No, 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 no. Because no, I want to see if we can get away without you. Oh, okay. It. All right. All right. Cool. Um, okay. So, I, I noticed this theme, and, and some actually picked up on this in the, in the parable series, where all the preachers would just tell a random funny funny story, and then just go on with the preachers if. Like, that had no relevance to anything, like, didn't you? And some particularly commented on that. So I thought I'm going to do the same thing. Because um, why not? Like, let's stick with the new life, new life concept. Okay, so Ellis and I were out for a coffee one day. Oh, oh yeah. Now, on stage with Rob, and he's talking about... So Ellis and I... Not that one. Do you think they noticed? I don't think anyone's noticed. Okay, that's all right. That's good. So Whew, cha- praise the Lord. Sorry, change story. Change all story. Right. Um, so I was, at, I was at my parents. with. Um, I've got two boys, one who's nine and one who's six. And the younger one of those, um, we were sat on the sofa, me, my dad, and Reuben. And he must have been about three, something like that. And um, he had like a little play mirror. And he was looking at himself. And he had food on his face. Because, I mean, what three-year-old doesn't have food on their face? Pretty much all the time. Um, Reuben is especially good for this. He has, whenever he has toast, whatever's on the toast gets up to like his cheekbones. I don't know how, right? How do little kids get, anyway. So he's looking at his face in the mirror and then he turned and looked at my face and my dad's face. And, and to give you kind of an idea, my dad is me with like a full beard. So like Sam's, imagine Sam's beard on me and all white hair, okay? And that's pretty much the only difference between me and my dad. I'm like a little clone of him. And Reuben is kind of like a little clone of me, okay? Poor kid. Like we prayed, we prayed, didn't we, Rachel? We prayed like, Lord, let our kids look like Rachel. Didn't happen. And so he looked at us and he started stroking our faces. Now that's not new because I, I liked it. I sit with the boys and stroke their faces when we're cuddling. And so I'm used to that. And he started stroking my dad's face. And he said, Granddad, why is your face different? It's an interesting question to ask. Oh, what do you mean? So, well, you've got bumps in yours and lines and things. And, and my dad said, well, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a lot older than you. He said, well, 
did God still make you? Because we talked about how God had made him. He's like, grand, my dad's like, yeah, yeah, God, God made me and your dad and, and you. God, God made all of us. And so Raymond went back to stroking all the faces. I went, granddad, I think God's better at it now. <laughs> I, and and I, lo- I love that. I love that. Um, anyway, so on with the sermon. Right, we'll, we'll ignore that one. Um, so Ellis and I are going to talk about uh, a, a story in the Bible called the Tower of Babel. And you can find this in Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to read that all together in a few minutes. But let me, let me set the scene. See, Genesis chapters 1 to 11 is what we call the prehistory. The prehistory. And it's five key stories that explain a lot about human nature and humanity's relationship with God. And it's a snapshot. So this covers hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of years, the timeline. And there's a few particular stories that give us a glimpse of humanity and God and relationships. And relationship is such an integral part of each of those stories. And so it begins in Genesis 1 with the creation of the world and moves into Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and their fall into sin. And there's there's a verse in Genesis 1, 28, which is really important for understanding actually us um, and who we are. And this is where God gives a commandment to Adam and Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Your call, your job is to expand. Your job is to create a family, create a community that spreads and fills the world. Essentially because we are the representation of God's glory here on earth. So go and fill the world with my goodness, with my grace, with who I am. That's what God asked us to do. And we go from that into Adam and Eve and the first sin. And so we see that humanity and God, and there's a conflict between them. And that's caused by us being daft. And of course, we're not daft. It's only, that only happened in Adam and Eve's time, right? Because that's, no, seriously, okay, all right, that's fine. Only happened in Adam and Eve's time. Uh, And then we go on to the story of Cain and Abel. And we now see not just the relationship between God and humanity broken, but the relationship between humanity and humanity broken, where, where Cain kills his brother Abel. And we see that relationship scattered. Uh, And then uh, as we go through kind of these, these little snapshots, there's then the story of the flood. Before the flood, I want to mention this, right? This is just a random little aside that I really wanted to mention. But the start of Genesis chapter 6, and hopefully my phone is in the right place, because if it's not, I'm going to cry. It's in the right place. This is, when I say we get snapshots, right? I want more information. Okay, so let me read Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Can we back up on that? Because that kind of sounds like angels were marrying human women. Like, can, can we explore that a little bit? Nope. Two verses. That's all you've got. Here's your little snapshot. Enjoy. And we go from that into the flood. Uh, and we know the story of the flood, where humanity has so turned against God and each other that God kind of hits the reset button, if you like, like it's your internet route, to turn it off and on again. And hopefully it comes back a little bit better. And then, after Noah and the flood, and Noah has an interesting moment with his sons, we get to the story of the Tower of Babel, the start of Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to read this out 
to you now. And then just going to talk for a couple of minutes about it, and then I'm going to hand over to Ellis. Um, so here we go. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now this, again, I, I find certain things interesting. This verse actually gives us a little bit of a setting. Um, and other, if you could just put up the slide uh, that's got the location on for me, please. Um, I, I found this wonderful, like grown up mature image all right, of, of a map of the Tower of Babel. But it's kind of further over into the east. Um, and if you can see on the, on the west-hand side, near the ship, is about where Israel is. Now, Israel is full of stone. It's mountainous. Mountains all around. And so when they built houses later on, they built them out of stone. But this little detail might seem like, oh, well, we're just skipping over this. But actually, it talks about how they had to make bricks. Why? Because the region where they are is primarily desert, and there's no stone. So they couldn't quarry stone. They couldn't find stone to build houses. They had to make bricks themselves. Anyway, so back to the story. So they've made the bricks. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth." Now, the, the kind of classical traditional interpretation of this story is that what the people were doing when they built the tower was they were trying to build a structure that reached up to heaven, trying to reach as high as they possibly could in an attempt to overthrow God, where it says we want to make a name for ourselves, is we want to make ourselves greater than God. And that's the, kind of, that's the traditional understanding of, of the passage, and, and that's what we're going with. Okay, so... Wait, what? No, because... That's what we're going with. No. That's but, what we're going but, with. Stop yeah. it. But you've, this isn't your but turn. But you've read my essay. This isn't and your turn. You gave it a really good mark, and... That's because I felt sorry for you. Okay, that's fair, but no. maybe we could try my, my way, because I think my way's better. <laughs> I would think that is my way, but that's besides the point. All right. Can so, we try my way? You, uh, can you explain shush, it as well? Shush. Uh, shush. Are you going to explain my... Shush. Okay. So I, I lectured at the Bible College when Ellis was there, and I taught him um, about Babel, and, uh, and he wrote an essay for me, and um, I didn't like it. I mean, it was a good essay. I had to give it a good mark, because you can't just mark people down because you don't like them. Um, apparently, that's unfair. But, sorry, I didn't, did I say Because you don't like the essay. You, sorry. No. Sorry. Okay, so, so what, what he wrote in this essay, which in fairness to him was well-researched and presented, um, was that this kind of traditional interpretation doesn't quite make sense. And when you read the passage kind of really carefully uh, and put it in its context of Genesis 1 to 11, where God says, spread out, fill the earth. And now we have this, people have started to spread out. And they are what we call nomadic tribes. They're wanderers. 
they had, either they grew crops and they grow crops somewhere until the soil was depleted and they'd move on, or they kept sheep. Uh, and in those days, the, like, they had some jobs, but mostly the women looked after kids and stayed at home and the men sorted food. Like, whether they grew it or hunted it or, or looked after sheep and cattle. What, that was the basic rule of society. And so as they're spreading to the east, um, they, they find this place and they think, we are scared that someone's going to come and take this land off us. If we don't look after this land and keep hold of it, someone's going to come and take it. Someone's got weapons. We know that weapons exist because Cain killed his brother. Uh, and before the flood, it talks about violence increasing. So we know that, that there's, there's weapons, right, and there's violence. So we need to... So they made a city in order to protect themselves, to say, this is our little bit of land, and we're going to look after it. And if anyone comes with weapons, we've got some big walls and a big tower, like a castle, essentially, that we can hide behind. Why is that a problem? No, that was good. That was exactly, oh, exactly correct do, as do well. You, do you want to come and stand No, absolutely. Right, I absolutely gonna, do. We're going to subtly swap. No one will notice. It's right, fine. Did you see, look did at you that. see how subtle that was? So, as Rob said... I don't agree with that classical interpretation. I am a bit of an optimist. You know, when I meet someone new, I always try and see the best in them. And I kind of felt bad for the people of Babel, you know, because everyone just wrote them off straight away. It's like, oh, it's just a bunch of crazy guys. The lads have got together and decided, shall we overthrow God? Oh, go on then. And then built a giant tower. And I just don't really like that. Because we're assuming something, you know? We're assuming that they're these crazy people when actually we know what the world was like at the time. And I think that it was a world that was filled with fear. It was a world that was filled with people who wanted to kill one another. Violence has increased. There's fear everywhere. And actually, these people are just looking for somewhere safe. And they kind of gather together and they go, well, how are we going to protect ourselves? You know, we're in the middle of this desert. People can see us from miles around. And they go, I know. We'll make a name for ourselves as people not to be messed with because we've got the best place to defend ourselves. So I'm going to sidetrack for a moment, and I promise this will be relevant. It's not just one of those funny stories. Um, you can hold him to that, by the way. Yeah, you can hold him to that. If he doesn't come back to it, you can boo Feel free, yeah. Right. Feel free to no, boo, throw things. Boo That's fine. Um, so part about me, I'm Ellis. And as Rob mentioned, I went to Bible college. However, my journey to Bible college wasn't one that was very standard. You see, when I was 14, I decided that God wanted me to be an engineer. Now, you may notice a problem with what I've just said there, because I've decided that God wanted me to be an engineer. I didn't consult God on this matter, because I was like, actually, God, I think I know what I want. I think I know what you want as well. Uh, I think you want me to be an engineer. So I decided, age 14, I was going to be an engineer, and that was it. It was fantastic. I picked my options at college, physics, chemistry, and maths. Lord, help me. That was horrible. And I, I made it through. I gutted it through, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do an apprenticeship. So I didn't do any UCAS applications, which is basically the stuff that allows you to get into university. Didn't do any of that because I'm going to be an apprentice and I'm going to be an engineer. And does anybody actually know what engineers do? No, I didn't either. Don't worry. But that's besides the point. Okay, I was going to be one and I was going to do it for Jesus because he wanted me to so much. And that's definitely not what I wanted to do. Okay, it's not. That's not what it is. So around a similar time, Sam, Liam, and Jess all decided that they were going to Matsy. They went the year before me, and they were coming back. They'd come back to youth, and they'd say, oh, Ellis, 
Massey's just amazing. I was like, guys, Massey's not for me. All right? It's just not for me, you know? God has, God has called me. I have told God that I'm going to be an engineer, and that is what I'm going to do, okay? So I went around applying for apprenticeships, you know? Uh, if I threw out a rough number, of about 22 different apprenticeships. That's quite a lot, isn't it? That's quite a lot of apprenticeships. It's quite a lot of times that you would think that one of them would see something in me and say, yes, we'll take you on as an engineer. Well, actually, only eight of those apprenticeships were for engineering. I got an interview for my dream job as one of those. It was a company in Hull. We won't name them. You know, don't want to put them to shame like that. But they turned me down. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of trapped in this limbo of what am I going to do? So I, was, I know God wants me to be an accountant. <laughs> Because they're so similar, you know, because I th thought he wanted me to be No, he wants me to be an accountant. So I applied for a good few accountancy apprenticeships, and they all turned me down, except for one, got an interview for one of them, and then that one was unlisted in what they only described in the email as mysterious circumstances. <laughs> and it started getting to the point where I was starting to be like, oh, God, it's almost like there's only one place left for me to go, and I've literally told everyone that I'll never go to Bible college, and it looks an awful lot like you're going, Ellis, you should go to Bible college. So I was like, I know, it's okay, we'll just wait and see. So a couple of weeks later, John Andrews came and he preached here, and he was, he was working for Matty at the time, and my mum was like, you should, you should go and talk to him. I was like, he doesn't know who I am. Do you know what that thing that mums do where they're like, no. You go talk to him. It's like, if you want to talk to him, you go talk to him. So my mum kind of dragged me up to John, and it was just kind of like, pray for him. I was like, all right, that's fair. That, that's a good response. And as John prayed for me, he gave me a word, and he said that God has closed every door and left only one open. And I just sat there like, I can't believe you're saying that. All right, that's fine. That's good. And I can only, do you, know, do you know in movies when they're like, there's the scene of them all planning something and there's the, that one guy who's like, I'm not doing that, I'm not, and then it immediately cuts to him doing the thing that he said he wasn't going to do. That was me in that moment. I can literally imagine Sam, Jess, and Liam's faces when they found out I was going to Massey, like, <laughs> thought you weren't going. No, yeah, I know I, was, I know I wasn't, but I'm here now. And may I tell you, God knows best, everyone. Massey was really good. But, why is that relevant? You, they won't have to boo me. I'm going to bring it back. Um, why is that relevant? Because I think I was a bit like the people of Babel then. I kind of decided that I wasn't good enough for the plans that God had for me. I was like, actually, I won't be able to do whatever God wants me to do. So I'll just settle for something that, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat good at. You know, I'm, I'm all right at physics, chemistry, and maths. I'll do that A-level. I'll be an engineer, and it'll be fine. And I was scared that God's plans and purposes for me would take me out of my comfort zone and take me somewhere that I wasn't sure where I'd end up. Because there's certainty in that, isn't there? There's certainty in me deciding I'm going to be an engineer. There's certainty there. Security. And instead, God wanted to call me to somewhere where I had no experience, almost no foundation, and it was a completely different thing for me. But God knew best. And actually, I built my tower of fear just like the people of Babel did. I built a tower around myself and trapped myself in and said, no, actually, I'll be safe if I come up with the plan. If I come up with the plan, everything will be okay. But actually, God had a better idea. 
And we'll talk about how God changes the language in a bit. You'll be able to see where we're going with it. My question to you is, what is your fear? I'm going to have to try and read the Bible with a microphone in my hand. This is going to be tricky. Ooh. Missed. Nice tunes. Got some musical accompaniment there. Was that like lobby music whilst I was looking through the Bible? That's what that was. Um, So in Genesis 11 verse 4, it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now we can read that as let's build a tower, make it really high, and, you know, we'll overthrow God. But actually, here... I see a people making a name for themselves out of fear. Let's, let's gather together and no one will hurt us. Let's gather together and we'll all be safe. Lest they do be dispersed over the face of the whole earth is the end there, and that's the fear. They don't want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. But what has God called them to do? We flash back to Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So what are they doing? They're standing directly in the plans and purposes that God has for them. They're letting their fear stand in the way. What's your fear? What's standing in the way of you fulfilling the plans and purposes that God has for you? Now, you may be sat here this morning thinking, well, it's all right because I haven't got any plans or purposes. And as a Christian, I can tell you categorically that is not true. God has given us all one direct commandment. Jesus, before he left, said one thing. He said, go out and make disciples. So you've got something to do. What, what fear is standing in the way of you doing that? Is it a fear of being forgotten like the people of Babel? Is it loneliness? That actually if you go all out for Jesus, everyone around you will leave you. And that's terrifying. I'll be honest with you. If that... If that was part of the deal for me, I would completely understand that fear. Is it awkwardness? Are you scared of it being awkward when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about Christianity, when you talk about coming to church? Are you scared of that awkwardness of someone being like, oh, one of those Christian weirdos, are you? All right, okay. I've had that one before, right? Is it rejection? Are you scared that if you go all out for the plans that God has for you, that actually other people around you will see you in a different way, turn their backs on you. What's your fear? And actually, I think what we can do as humans is build a tower, just like the people of Babel did with our fear. We can say, it's okay, I'm scared, but I'll just protect myself. So we start building up these walls around us, but they're not walls built for a good reason. They're walls built out of fear. They're walls that are actually harmful for us and harmful for the plans that God has. I think the most interesting part of this story is how God responds. When I was uh, telling young people and kids that I was preaching and I was gutted that some of them would miss out because they wouldn't be here or in kids, every single one of them got confused with this story and the uh, story of Jericho. You know, the story of Jericho where uh, they march around the walls a few times and the walls collapse and it's this huge celebration. Everyone got really confused with that story. And I understand that. I understand why they got confused. They're quite similar, you know, tower-based stories with people inside. Understandable. You can get those mixed up. That's fine. But 
There's a real difference between this and Jericho. A real difference. Because there, God tears down the walls. But they weren't necessarily walls built out of fear. They were walls of power. They were walls of, you know, this, the, this group of people is standing over everyone else saying, look how big we are. We've achieved everything. And God comes down and shows that he's bigger than that power that they think they have. Babel is different. Here's why. Because the walls are built out of fear, and God doesn't do what we think he would. Because you've read the Old Testament, right? Sometimes God just swings a hammer, knocks a wall down, and is like, there you go, Israelites, off you go. Right? If you think about it, if you had just started reading this story again for the first time, and you really thought about what you expected God to do with this tower, you would expect him to crush it. That'll teach him. If they were building this out of idolatry, I think that's what God would have done. He would have crushed it there and then and said, no, I am greater. But God doesn't do that. God just moves in and changes the languages. I like to picture, and this might be a bit weird, but just go with me on this one. Everyone, two guys kind of working on the wall and they're talking about it like, "Ah, Derek, we're going to be so safe now. No one will ever hurt us. My wife and my kids, they'll be absolutely fine. And Derek's like, ah, John, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Everything will be okay now. And we won't have to go out and do all that stuff. We can just stay here and be safe. And I just like to imagine that there's just a quiet wind, like a, just a, almost like a gentle breeze that moves through the city. And just like this look of confusion on everyone's faces as they try to carry on their conversations and nothing works and they don't understand each other. And slowly but carefully they realize there's only one thing left to do. And they lay down their tools and they stop building the wall out of fear and they go out into the world just as God wanted them to. And it's a bit of an odd picture but I think that it teaches us something about God in The book of Habakkuk, it says, Rob loves Habakkuk, it's one of his favorites. Um, In wrath, remember mercy. And I think here in this moment is God's mercy to the people of Babel. He says, I understand that you're scared. The world out there is terrifying. But I need you out there. So he doesn't crush it. Doesn't come in all guns blazing. He moves quietly and calmly. And changes the language. I want to ask you if God needs to change your language. Not necessarily to Spanish. Maybe he does. I don't know. But I think that God might need to change some language this morning. Because your fear can't let you stand in the way of what God has for you. Because not only... Are God's plans good for him? They're good for us. I'm stood here off the back of Matsey Hall Bible College and teacher training all things that would never have happened if I had done it my way. Because I did it his way, all being he dragged me kicking and screaming to do it, but I did it his way eventually. Because I did it his way, here I am today in a much better place than I would have been if I had gone and done the lousy job that I didn't want to do anyway. Right? Not that engineers are lousy. If there's any engineers, you're all, you're all great. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. I'm not saying that. Um, 
Now, you may have noticed as I came up, I brought this Kermit picture with me. I wasn't planning on talking about it. Sam got it for me as a leaving present. When we were at Mattersea, um, my friend Bryn would lay on his bed and out into the corridor, you'd be able to see Kermit gazing longingly at Bryn from his room. It was very strange. He'd just walk into Bryn's room and we'd have a conversation. It'd just be like, Kermit, like, what are you? Just stop and he'd like, close the door so Kermit's not watching. It's really weird. But I just think the way that he's looking is almost lovingly. You know? It's just like, Kermit, stop. What are you? I don't know you like that, you know? Like, it's weird. But I think that that picture shows me something really interesting. And it, it, again, this might be a stretch, but bear with me. But when we are grounded by fear, we expect a response of wrath. We expect God to come in and smash down the walls and batter our fear and go, we've, we've conquered it together. But that would be God conquering your fear. And God can do that. I promise you this morning, God can do that. But I don't think he wants you to. I think God would rather lead you to a place where you conquer your fear. And God can give you the tools to do that. He can change your language. And all the while, he's going to be looking at you like that. Because he loves you so much. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong. It doesn't matter if you've let fear stand in the way of what God has for you because he still loves you. And actually, he wants to change your language to a language of love. He wants, to, he wants you to see yourself how he sees you. Perfect. Unashamed. Beautiful. Made in his image. That's who you are. Now, your fear might come out of a place that you're past it. And this was something that I felt really strongly that I should speak on this morning, that your fear is that actually I've done my bit for God. You know, I, I did the Great Commission. I did it. You know, I went out and I did my bit and it was all good. But now it's time for me to just kind of soak it all in. And in a way, yeah. But actually, I don't believe that God wants that for you. I don't believe that God wants you to just kind of retire to a tower that you've built out of fear that actually I'm too old for this. The world doesn't have anything, doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm past it. I'm past my best. The world doesn't. I don't have anything to offer the world because of this. And I'll be honest with you, I hate that. I hate that. Because you have so much to offer the world, so much to give, so much to love. There are young people out there who just need to know that someone loves and cares. It breaks my heart. I'm not going to cry. No, I probably am. But at Limitless, at Limitless, I saw so many people, so many young people struggling with things that at 13 years old they just shouldn't be dealing with. Young people with things ingrained on their mind at the age of 13 that they just needed Jesus to wash away. And they're out there. And we're in here. Have we constructed a tower out of fear for ourselves to stand in here and say, actually, it's all right because I'm getting something from this? Now, I know that's challenging, but it's true. Jesus doesn't say, go out and make disciples if you're young. He doesn't say go out and make disciples if you've been a Christian for five years. He just says go out and make disciples. You are called to more than just to sit in Babel. 
behind walls, locked up where you feel safe. You are called to more than that. The people of Babel were afraid. God sees and knows this. In a circumstance where we expect to see wrath, anger, and destruction, God shows mercy, love, and kindness towards a people who don't deserve it. The people of Babel got it wrong. Maybe they deserved to be crushed. But I don't think so. I think God wanted them to see that he loves them. And this morning, I would love to offer an opportunity to invite God into your heart to change your language about how you see yourself. And that's not just a response to someone who's been a, a, a new Christian. If you've been a Christian for years and you feel like you've reached the end of what you can offer, then right now, this morning, is a time for us to change that. Because that's not true. So I'm going to invite Rob up in a moment just to close. But I just want to leave you with this sense that this is how God looks at you. He loves you and he cares about you so much. Don't allow your fear to stand in the way of what God has for you. Great. Really good. Um, I, I don't want or need to add a lot to that. Um, in two minutes, I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes and, and we're going to pray. But the one verse from Babel that, that we didn't look at, but that actually I think we need to talk about now is this. God says, because they have one language and they're together in community, there will be nothing that they cannot achieve. On your own, things are scary, aren't they? They are. Let's, let's not pretend that they're not scary. But if you try and stand there on your own against that, it's hard. And there are countless stories in the Bible of where people have, have been on their own and struggled and suddenly someone's come alongside them and said, hey, let's do this. I've got, I've got you back. I'm with you. There's this incredible story in the book of Numbers where the Israelites are fighting uh, and Moses is standing on a hill. And whenever Moses is holding his arms up in, in prayer and glorifying God, the Israelites are winning the battle. And whenever he's tired and his arms drop, the, the enemy are beating them. And so what happens is that his brother uh, and a guy called her come and stand with him and hold his arms. And Israel win the battle. We are not just called into a relationship with God to follow his call on our lives individually. We are. But we're here in new life. And as much as in Genesis, God says, be fruitful and fill the earth. When he calls the nation of Israel, he says, you will be a kingdom of priests, which means you are going to take my glory into the world. And then Jesus, the last words to his disciples, as Alice mentioned, is go, you plural. Right? The word you in the English language makes our Bible reading a, a bit individual. It says you, you bunch, go and make disciples. And I loved hearing when Russ was sharing his heart last year for new life to be here, there, and everywhere. What does that mean? That we are not just 
church in here, but everywhere we go, we carry Jesus with us. And we carry his hope, his love, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. We carry that everywhere we go. And when we try and do that on our own, it's so hard. But that's why God's called us into community. That's why God's called us together. I wonder if you could all close your eyes for a moment. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something reasonably brave. If you resonated with some of those words from Ellis this morning, if you know that you've put fear, whatever that fear is, inadequacy, insecurity, age, loneliness, fear of rejection, whatever that might be, if you've put that in the way of following God's call to represent him to the world, then I want you to stand where you are. And let me preface this by saying, I am standing now. I am standing saying, I have let voices that shouldn't be speaking to me tell me that I can't do it. If that's you, if you feel that and have felt that, I want you to stand. And please, everyone keep your eyes closed. This is not a look at these people. This is a moment between you and God. But it's also a moment of community. That while you don't know how many other people are standing with you right now, <laughs> there are people standing with you right now. That when you feel fear, people are standing with you. When you don't have the words to say, people are standing with you. When you don't have the strength or the courage or the boldness to follow where God is leading you, there are people standing with you. Father, I want to pray for everyone here who feels fear, who allows those words those voices, those insecurities and fears to stop us being the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we know that you break down barriers. We know, Lord, that you love us and that you don't want to break down barriers to destroy us or to hurt us, but to release us, to bring freedom into following the call that you have for us. Lord, let us not listen to those voices. Lord, where our head tells us we are not good enough, let us read that you call us good and faithful servants. When we fear that we're too young or too old, may we remember your words that young people will dream visions, that older people will soar and run with the strength of youth. Whatever those voices are, Lord, you have already beaten them down. Help us to walk in the freedom that you've given us, Lord, and help us never to be afraid to carry your message, your love, your hope and grace to the world around us. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.